your weekly Selk Grassroots podcast, brought to you by the Down to Play app. Welcome to Selk Grassroots, a podcast network bringing you your daily fix of all the news from around grassroots. This series of podcasts is called The Big Interview, hashtag stay strong. I'll be interviewing many people from around the grassroots um, community, matching up our football lives and our mental health lives and how much football can have an effect, positive or negative, on our lives. Let's get on with it. So, today's guest on the big interview, hashtag Stay Strong series, is Ant Canavan. Um, Ant is the bloke behind the Ref Forum account on Twitter and, and YouTube and, and online forums and all sorts of referee-related um, things. Um, Ant has interacted with the podcast uh, for a long time now it seems uh, most of this season uh, we started to uh, put the audio version of Ant's brilliant uh, YouTube series uh, The Final Whistle out um, on our platform because I think it's important the referees are represented amongst the grassroots community um, and yeah we've been interacting a lot so it felt right to uh, get Ant on um, part of the um, the current uh, wave of uh, mental health um, support Ant has started the hashtag no ref left behind um and tell us a bit about that and thanks for coming on yeah well first and foremost thanks very much for having me uh, as you said we have we've chatted extensively online yeah. uh, whether it be on uh well via email or twitter or whatever but it's it's first time we're actually speaking so that's that's nice yeah um and yeah no so the the hashtag no ref left behind is a kind of initiative that i'm pushing that kind of supports referees in a way that they aren't being supported currently so if you're out on the field by yourself at grassroots you are literally alone you've yeah. got two teams but as a, as a referee as a match official you're by yourself and something might happen in that game that you want to talk to someone about but the county don't have uh, or the fa nationally don't have somewhere you can reach out to straight away after that game is finished but myself uh, the referee forum uh, and and you know other referees that have uh, partnered with uh, ref support uk uh, the third team um, we all have extensive networks, big groups of referees who you can drop a comment on our Facebook page, on our Twitter, wherever it may be, and you've got instant support. You've got like this almost fraternal kind of, tell us what happened. Yeah. We'll, we will support you. We've got your back, but we'll also give a constructive way of saying, well, what what could you have done to have avoided this situation or or stuff like that? It's it's one of the most supportive ways I think it's 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 possible to do to help out uh, any level of referee. So you might think ah, this is for the grassroots referees. It's not. It's for pretty much any referee because yeah. anyone can feel that way after a, a game. And I'm feeling you know loneliness, uh, especially in lockdown, is something that we collectively all have to address um and and this is just one way of doing it you know the, the hashtag's only been going for about a, a week now yeah uh, but it's it's already gathered really good traction and i've done so many people that are retweeting it and saying yeah listen if you are feeling bad or down or lonely or you've had a crap game drop me a dm it doesn't have to be in public uh and and so many people are just backing it up which which goes to show that the support and the willingness to help people is out there 
um, there just at the moment isn't an organised infrastructure, um, you know, for, for either nationally or county by county to kind of make that happen. So it's it's something I've thought, you know what, fuck it, I'll do it myself. And <laughs> if it helps, if it helps even a handful of referees, it's done its job. As there was nothing there before. Has already since the hashtag has been created, have you seen? So people are already reaching out on the back of a week's worth of retweets. Well, yeah, um, it, it's even on the first day, it was dozens of people saying, "Great initiative." Uh, th- there was a follow train that started as well because if you only know the referees that you go out with in your area, that's probably ten percent of all the referees in your county. Um, and then nationally, it's yeah. a fraction of a percent of all the referees that are out there. So you could be like me. I'm based in Liverpool. If I have a crap game and I don't, I can't get hold of anyone in Liverpool. Well, that might be where it ends there in terms of me reaching out for support. But if you're yeah. online, you've not only got the rest of the referees kind of collectively in this community in this country, but referees from America, Canada, from all over Europe. That are, you know, we're all referee in the same sport. We've all experienced the same stuff. Um, is that it's not exp- it's not a it's not a UK based problem then it does seem to be a worldwide thing I, I, I only ask that and I don't mean to, to be derogatory about America or anywhere like that where the sport isn't quite as as popular as it is here but the the abuse is is a worldwide thing regardless of what country you, you're in yeah yeah uh, it, unfortunately it is and it seems to have gotten only worse especially in the past couple of years um, most recently the the podcast I do the, the final whistle we had uh, Dr. Tom Webb on and he has just um, he, he's a professor from the University of uh, I say Plymouth or Portsmouth it's one of those two um, he just did a massive study international study that gathered data from all over the world about match officials, not just in football, but in all sports. And some of the the facts and figures he was pointing out as we were chatting to him and interviewing him were just absolutely heartbreaking for the sport, especially, Mm. Uh, but but more so for referees in the fact that um, a referee can expect to get verbally abused uh, one out of every three games he or she does. 93% of referees have received verbal abuse at some point in the last year. It, these Jesus numbers Christ. are just absolutely staggering. And it feels, for me, as a grassroots referee, that the FA aren't really doing anything about it, uh, which is why, you know, the hashtag enough is enough, hashtag no ref left behind they're both things that, that kind of say listen it's happening it's happening right across the board mm. we've got now an academic um study backing up this stuff but the fa will, will come out with things and say oh but you know there are x amount of games so as a percentage it's less than 0.01 percent it should be zero percent yeah the game's got a real kind of illness in in this attitude that it's okay to abuse the referees and and that just needs to be kind of taken out of the game I, I get listen I get that players coaches spectators get frustrated but the, the the point is you can get frustrated you can get frustrated at your own players but you, you don't abuse them no. in the same way that you abuse the referee the referee is a soft target on the field of play it's, it's easy to say we lost that game because the referee instead of saying uh, our striker up front missed two open goals in that game or that, yeah. or that goalkeeper should have saved those two that went in. Yeah. It's easier to point to an outside influence to say, well, it was 
that was the referee's fault instead of maybe being a little bit more self-reflective yeah uh, but but that is what it is um it, it's something that just needs to balance out a little bit agreed so let's get into the questions so we learn more about you um tell us a bit about your footballing life and your journey into uh refereeing so i was a junior footballer for a, a very successful but local team uh we would win all the leagues we'd win all the cups um it was, a, it was a decent little uh, little run I had up until about the age of 14 um, right. uh, and then my knee just went I, I got uh, Osgood Schlatters in my left knee Snap. Is, uh, I've got exactly the same uh, then you know my pain yeah. I couldn't even I couldn't walk I couldn't yeah. bend my knee the cartilage was just not my friend uh, yeah. <laughs> I had all sorts of like ultrasound therapy on it yeah. um, the, the doctors were saying like it's, it's horrendous you know stop everything you're doing which sucked because I was like the captain of the swim team. I was doing cross country. I was doing all the football. Uh, I was doing equestrian, so horse riding and stuff like that. Yep. And doctors were saying, you, you're just doing too much. Uh, but the thing is, I loved it. I was very a very physical youngster. And then they got to 14 and just had to stop everything. Yep. My brother was five years younger. He was on the same path. So I just ended up going to watch him play football, carry on horse riding, do all that sort of stuff. Um, but when he was doing the football... Um, I, I'd see these referees turn up and they would stand in the centre circle yep. they wouldn't keep up with play um, they would make decisions that I could see were not the right decisions maybe they were a, a soft whatever decision like free kick or penalty well, it wasn't agreeing with them and at the end of one game the ref came up to me and I said yeah, how do I go about going, being, being a referee being like you uh, I can't remember who the ref was but he gave me the information and I signed up to a referees course and there was fortunately one starting like within the couple of weeks after I spoke to that ref yeah uh, got uh, got my qualification as a referee I had an amazing um, instruction in this instructors team that, that taught me how to be a referee um, it was with Cheshire FA uh, the guy leading the course was a bloke called Jack Blakemore uh, and I have no idea if he'd ever listened to this, but uh, credit where it's due, he's one of the best football instructors I've ever encountered throughout my refereeing. And that's been almost 20 years now, he was, and he was right there at the start. Uh, and the other uh, instructor on that course was Dave Pugh, who uh, at the time had just retired from the Premier League uh, right. as a, a top flight ref and went on to become the chief exec of Liverpool County Football Association. He's okay. just going to retire this January. So it was, you know, the, the pedigree that we had kind of training us to be referees there was just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 my, when I qualified as a referee, got my, all the boxes ticked and the exams done and all that, it was Mike Dean that actually presented me with my certificate as well. Did he do so, it in a really flamboyant way or did he not look at you? Yeah, he... Well, he came in, techno music, lasers, smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who's this? Who's this? <laughs> no, look, no look certificate, was it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah one of those, yeah. <laughs> Um, but but at the time I was made to feel like you know welcome to this look at look at where you could go we've got Mike Dean we've got Dave Pugh Jack Blakemore was phenomenal um, and I remember thinking wow this this is great to get into look at how much effort Cheshire have put in to kind of get this next generation of referees along um, yeah. into the game and maybe I was spoiled right at the start because that seems to have like tapered off especially, and I'm going to talk about this as we go through the, the interview um, 
unless you're going for promotion or you're part of the FA core scheme, you won't get any training. Yeah. You don't even have to pass an exam on the updated laws of the game each season. No. So when some players say, yeah, listen, this ref's crap. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Oftentimes they could have a valid point. Yeah. Now that, that doesn't mean they've got any right to abuse that referee, but referees themselves have to kind of say, all right, I have a basic duty to kind of keep up with the current laws of the games. I'm out there. I'm getting paid to do a job. Yep. Um, I should at least be able to do that job um, in accordance with the, the rules as they are now. Yep. I get that referees, um, especially grassroots, may not have the, the fitness or the mobility if they're a little bit older to get around like they do at the high levels. But that, that should be an absolute baseline that if you're a qualified referee, you need to maintain because the laws change year on year. Yep. If you don't maintain your knowledge of the laws of the game, that that should it kind of gives you're making a rod for your own back. Yeah, if I you're agree. one of those referees, I agree. Um, but but yeah, it's um. So anyway, back back to me. When I, <laughs> it's about when you. I, this is about you. This is yeah, about you. When when I when I got uh, I got I started refereeing at nineteen, um, and then from then I didn't really stay in one place for more than two or three years at a time because with with my work um working in show business kid um <laughs> I, I ended up moving around so i started off in uni um i got a degree in drama uh, and then from there i worked at holiday parks i worked in hotels i worked on cruise ships um so i've i've, I've been based in so many counties uh, around the uk um that i've i've seen the, the the different styles of of what your match officials are expected to do like in in sussex uh, sussex was one of the best counties i refereed in down south it was, it's amazing um you, you're looked after by both the league and the county um and the, the support that you're given on the field by the, the clubs as well like the the club secretaries will actually reach out to you they'll have a conversation over the phone uh in terms of where to go what kits the teams will be playing yeah. in all that sort of stuff you you you're you're part of everyone's match day routine yep in places like uh east riding um to a degree cheshire and and where i am at the moment liverpool you're lucky if you get a text message okay um and and it's exactly the same level and it's such a world apart in terms of people's attitudes to, to the match officials um, and that out, that also translates through onto the field of play as well um, yeah, well, and, and again I'm, that's something that, that there needs to be a top down kind of national approach of this is what the, the, the match day protocol is or even prior to match day leading up to that moment this is what the protocol should be yeah. and it's the same for everyone because there's so much discrepancy it shouldn't be a postcode lottery no. how, how good uh, or bad you're, you're treated as, as an official it should be a, a standard kind of baseline that everyone should adhere to yeah but yeah i've been around the world uh, and now based in liverpool where i've been for the past 18 months uh, and then back back on the promotion scheme as well like i was down in sussex so uh the, one of the rules is if you go away um out of the country for more than two seasons and you don't register the highest level you can come back is as a level five so that's where i'm sat at the moment after living in spain and greece for uh, the last five years okay what what um what level were you uh, or refereeing at 
so Sussex uh, promotion for four and then going up um, up the levels down there uh, it was in 2013 that I left those guys um, to to move over to uh, to Cyprus at that point um, and then I, like I said I only got back into it properly uh, early 2018 so you didn't you didn't referee abroad or you did but you didn't you didn't no well so I'd, I'd take on contracts that last anywhere to six to eight months so I'd get in the winter maybe two to three months of, of a season in now obviously that's not enough to get um to, to count towards any sort of promotion no, or anything no. meaningful like that so i'd come back just keep the keep the engine running sort of thing just just keep my, my myself not rusty and keep the cobwebs off um but yeah it, it's one of those things if you are serious about moving up the ladder for a match official it's something that you need to uh just fully commit to uh, in terms of long term and and what your short term availability is, because yeah. football will dominate everything that you do. Um, yeah. The I, higher up you go, I I went from uh, seven to six and then six to five in in consecutive um, seasons, and I easily I easily refereed forty forty five games in each of those seasons, and yeah. um, comfortably it was it would it would have been more because I was doing midweeks, I was doing Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, and Sunday afternoon just to do every yeah. single possible game that I, that I could. And um, when I yeah. found out that I was doing kids football uh, on a Sunday afternoon, and I and when I realised I didn't it didn't count towards my promotion games, I knocked it on the head because I, I was absolutely shattered. But yeah, refs on the if you're if you've been continuously on promotion schemes for however long, it, it's it's absolutely intense, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Uh, but I think also it's preparing you for that next step up because as as a, like level fives, um, you could you could easily referee seven days a week. And do all, yeah. all, 10, 10 games a week. At the moment, I'm, you know, there's some weekends I'm doing six games over a Saturday and a Sunday, three on a Saturday, three on a Sunday. Oh. There's, there's a massive shortage of referees and it's only going to get worse. Um, How's the knee after that? Well, it's a, my, my knee recovered fine. Like, I can run uh, straight lines, side to side crabbing's fine. It's the, the twist and turning motions that, that my knee is now weak on. Yeah. So as long as I'm not, you know, going crazy and pirouetting on the pitch and stuff like that. I think I might get away with it. Um, but I, you know, just just leading up to um, when when I was abroad as well, I, I ballooned. I gained a huge amount of weight. Um, and over the course of uh, a couple of years, I, I then worked on myself and, and kind of lost that weight. And part of that was getting into the gym and, uh, and learning about... Um, lifting weights effectively and safely uh, and that has also helped with you know having a stronger kind of foundation uh, on which to build some decent cardio yeah um yeah so that's uh if, if people want to know more about that they can check out my instagram at ant canavan um or, or just have a look at uh, the final whistle podcast because yeah. i'm always chatting about that on there as well what does football mean to you now on a, on a day-to-day basis it's, it's significant. It's, it's massive still. Even though we're in lockdown, I'm still, because of the referee forum, um, on it every single day uh, for, for a couple of hours a day, a minimum. Like, yeah. a lot of questions come in uh, from referees uh, because, obviously, with it being an international forum, 
there's countries, I mean, even within the UK, Wales has gone back to football, Scotland's gone back to football, so they can play now. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just us in England that are, are properly locked down. Um, so there's questions to answer, there's videos to produce, there's podcasts to produce. I make memes as well because I'm a funny bastard uh, and they go down quite I love, well. I love the video of the bloke on the the, the ball shitting himself, by the way. That, that, <laughs> that, was, that was, was that actually you that did the video? No, that was that, so. That was my wife that filmed that. That was over in Mallorca. No, I don't um, mean was it you that shat yourself? Yeah, the, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. If I'd have shat myself, it wouldn't have been a little one like that <laughs> down my legs. Uh, guy craps his pants on mechanical ball is the most popular um, YouTube video I've got on at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when when I was out there managing. So I was managing hotels. Uh, my wife, Danny, was managing the entertainment. And uh, so her entertainers are based all over the island, whereas I had one hotel in the East Coast. And we're like, you know what? Let's treat them. Where, where can we take them for a nice kind of uh, middle of the season evening away? You know, a little reward for all their hard work. So we took them to the um, to the ranch, and let, let everyone ride around on horses. There was lots of sangria. There was a mechanical bull. And this lad had, had too much sangria and then jumped on the mechanical bull um, and, had, uh, yeah, it, it got a little bit carried away, ended up pooping his pants, uh, which my wife filmed only because he'd, like, thrown up just before. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if he was on the mechanical bull, it was spinning round, and he just started, like, puking, and it just sprayed all over the place. I thought that would have been, that would have been like, solid YouTube material. Uh, that would have been gone viral. Uh, but even better, it came out the other end. So. <laughs> <laughs> how yeah. much? How much of your week is, is taken up then by preparing for football or or your um, or the ref forum or the final whistle? How much time do you dedicate to that each week? So it's 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 a lot in it because yeah. but it's it's all all day Saturday, all day Sunday. I'll be out refereeing. Yeah, um, I also work in. Uh, the hot water comedy club in the evenings as well as a show manager there so by the time i finished all my refing and and you know ran twenty five thousand steps or whatever i'm then in the comedy club seeing all that stuff going on um so those those are long days those are huge huge days um a lot of times taken up with with the football and just normal life but the, the preparation of my kits, all my equipment, uh, the phone calls and the emails to like the ref secretaries. Uh, I'll plan my own journey as well because obviously if I'm going between three grounds on a Saturday, I need to know where I'm going yep. uh, and how I'm getting there and how long it's going to take and all that sort of stuff. So in terms of like I'll, I'll do 35 hours a week in the comedy club and about the same either – doing football refereeing or producing podcasts or on the forum answering questions it's about the same it's like a full-on 70 hour week between the two yeah. things that i do it's it's a full-time two full-time jobs yeah I've, I've since taken on since starting the podcast and it's it i probably put as much work into that as as my as my day job and um and refereeing so yeah, i know, I know exactly yeah. how you feel about that right. yeah, yeah how do you deal with having a good game how do you how do you where where does your mind take you or, or how do you sort of uh sort that in your in your head how does that work so at the end of a, of a good game generally people from both teams and some of the spectators will say thanks thank you they will thank you if they think you've had a good game yeah um and when you get a few of those 
you suspect you, you kind of know when you've had a, a decent game as yeah. a ref, but that all all reinforces it. So you get a little buzz at the end of the of the game uh, as you're walking off back to your car. Everyone's saying thank you. You say, "Yeah, no worries. Thanks very much. See you next time." Um, by the end of the day, that that kind of that good feeling, that buzz has gone, um, and and so you get at the end of a good game great feeling but it, it really doesn't last it's, it's so yeah by the end of the day it's forgotten about like by the time i'm in bed and then you just gotta crack on uh and then just focus on on the next match coming up there's not really much you can take from a good game in terms of development as a referee all of your improvement or not all of your improvement that's not right but most of your improvement will come from making mistakes and um and then being self-critical and actually saying, yeah, okay, I might have fucked up a little bit there. And then what can I do to make sure I don't do that again? Yeah. There's, I mean, there's so much of refereeing. If, if a team wins 5-0, then everyone tells you that you've had a brilliant game and you're the best ref they've had all season. And that, that happens anyway. So it's hard to... You're right that you do know when you've had a bad game or, yeah. or a good game. Um, just from key decisions, obviously, we'll all get we'll all get a 50-50 coming together and, a, and the ball flying out for a throw-in. We'll all get those ones wrong from time to time because they're just impossible sometimes yeah, to get right yeah. or, or a corner or something in the same way. But um, it's hard to um, to overanalyze your game. You know big decisions. You, play, you, you can think to good advantages that you've played that have led to a goal and I don't know about you but as a referee when you get one of those you just hold that hold the whistle and, and then bang out your arms and say play on advantage or whatever you say yeah I keep those on if, if we're breaking in that final third and I'm playing an advantage I'm keeping those arms all the way up as like showing everyone playing this advantage until they have a shot because they'll if they score and you've still got your hands up like that and you've been watched by an observer that's just pure gold that yeah. is for that's me, your goal. For, for me, that's um, that's that's your goal. <laughs> I, that I, is. That I, is. <laughs> I'll sometimes say under my breath, like like a little ventriloquist. Oh, good advantage, ref. Yeah. I'll do that. Yep, nice one, nice one. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does mental health mean to you? Um, see now this, this because of working with the third team with Nathan, um, it's it's changed more recently. The more I've spoken to him. So in the past, I'd have just said, "Oh, having a having a positive outlook, you know, being being happy with who you are and stuff like that." But I think it's also now um, that I've spoken to Nathan, it's it's to do with your own resilience as well yeah. and how you cope and deal with things that may be negative. Because when when you go out as a referee, you're gonna have to say at some point someone's gonna disagree with you. Now, if you're not mentally resilient to sort of even that base level of confrontation uh, it is confrontation. It's maybe not like uh, uh, you're not getting shouted at or anything like no. that, but you, but you're being disagreed with. Yeah. Now, if you've got a, a good level of resilience to, to have kind of faith in yourself that what you're doing is honest and it's and it's you know you, you convince yourself that that is what you've seen or that's the way it's going to go, then the knock-on effect is that all your other decisions will be based on that. That sort of I'm I'm honest. I've got integrity, and this is what I do. Yeah. If you don't have that that kind of if you have a crumbly sort of resilience that breaks down very easily, um, you, you the, the self doubt will creep in, and then you're, you're going to start second guessing. You'll start maybe being swayed easily by teams, and then the other players on the pitch will pick that up. Yeah. And and it will cascade into 
uh, your loss of control and your game management will, will go. So I think, um, you know, on top of the things like motivation and discipline and all that stuff that, that goes just with, with uh, good, good mental health, I, I think it's important to either identify when you don't have resilience or when, when your resilience could be improved um, and then how to go about becoming more resilient so that when it does escalate, when it does get into a sort of level of abuse, because I've, I've taken on abuse and it's not pleasant at all, no. but if you've got a way to cope with it and still carry on your game, that's what will benefit you as, as a match official moving forward. Have you got your stock replies? Have you got your, you know, your your five replies to certain incidents in games, or do you just you just go with it? At, at I just go time? with it. I I will talk and talk and talk and talk. I'm talking to players when the ball is dead. I'm talking to them as they're playing. Um, I, you know, <laughs> one of the things that the players will never say about me is, "Ah, oh, you, you won't speak to us." If anything, they'll say, I wish you would shut up. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the, the thing is, I, I'm, a, I'm a communicator, so that, that's my style. I've, I'm a personality-driven referee that likes to communicate a lot. So as long as you're doing that, not explaining yourself, but if you're just verbalising your thought process as you're going along, like if you see a tackle come in and it's good tackle, or if it wasn't a good tackle, it was a bit borderline, but we're playing on just a, an advantage. But I did see that, and I don't want to see it again. If you make it very yeah, clear yeah. with what what you're looking for and what you would punish, have, have, if the game goes a different way, that that's all that the player. Oh, that's all you can really do in terms of managing the game in that style. Yep. Sound like you sound like uh, you got the similar. I, I try and talk players, uh, talk players to death during the games, and it seems to get them on side if you're talking to them constantly through the game. And it definitely does, decisions. yeah, because they'll they'll moan if you're just a robot that just will say, like, not stock phrases, but if you do everything by the book um, in a a game with like a, a hot temperature. That that will lead to tricky game management because if you go for a yellow card in an, in a uh, position where you could have talked the incident down before yeah. it got to a yellow card, yeah. you could have managed that better. Once you produce a yellow card for that player, if they don't then curb their behaviour, you've only got one place to go yeah. on the next yellow card offence, and that's a second yellow and send them off. Whereas if you can talk to the player explain why they're not allowed to do what they've just done um it gives them a chance to calm down but it also when you do eventually have to book them because you usually do if you have to have a word with them yeah. for, for things like that earlier on they're then a little bit more accepting and understanding than if you just pop out a yellow card so you've spoken to them beforehand and you, and you can just say listen i told you five minutes ago if you do that it's a yellow card and here it is do you find and then everyone else sees that as well do you find it's I, I don't know about you I when I was going through only I, I say only seven to six and six to five promotions but they're you know it's a valid it was a valid process and and the yeah. assessors um the assessors as they were called then observers now do you find that you that you refereed more robotically and more you were quick more quickly to cards during that process than you would do if you were outside of the promotion um season no okay I I don't tailor my refereeing to 
if there's an observer there or not. What I might do is tailor my pre-match um, chat with my assistants or um, that that sort of thing. But once I start my watch and I blow my whistle, uh, I will referee the same whether there's an observer watching or not. Uh, okay. If they like what they see, fantastic. If they don't, they'll tell me. They'll write it down. Um, and if if I feel that the, what they're saying could improve my game, I'll take on those points. But if I feel like my game in certain areas works for me, um, I'll stick with it. But what what I'll also do is try things that uh, are suggested. I won't just be like, well, I'm not doing that. This yeah. works for me. I'm not even going to consider it. I'll give it a go for a couple of games. If it works, I'll add it to my toolbox of things I can do to manage a game. Um, it, and if it doesn't work, well, you know, not everyone can use a hammer. Not everyone can use a screwdriver, but people can use one of each. You know what I mean? Mm. So it, it's just about taking on as much information as you possibly can, finding out what works for you, and then using it effectively to manage a game. Absolutely. Um, is grassroots football win at all costs? I'm going to say mostly yes. Yeah. Or it feels like it is now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, ask me that question five to ten years ago, I'd have said no. Yeah, same. But a lot of clubs and leagues have folded. And so the 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 kind of, the ones that would play casually, and they wouldn't really necessarily be bothered if they won or lost it was a it was a social interaction it was a you know a club coming together once a week um it's a social thing but now i feel like every club regardless of their position in the pyramid regardless of their position in a league they just want to win yeah reg- regardless of, of of anything um i mean i mean i referee for leisure leagues which is six aside on a Monday night yeah. and there's players there that still do it socially that they, they they know their limits they know what they're capable of they'll turn up they'll play the game it's half an hour uh, and they'll enjoy it win or lose they'll enjoy it but 11 v 11 I feel like the maybe the players that aren't so good have a little bit there's more places to hide in a, in a bigger game so I mean, if you're if you're not a great player in a six-a-side match, it stands out more than if you're not having the best game, yeah. eleven v eleven. Yeah. Um. So, the the pre- yeah, there's more pressure for for eleven v eleven to to play to win than than there is small-sided. Um, and I feel like that's something that's really crept in over the last few years where's that well. driven where's that driven from do you think is uh, we get a lot of in the south i don't know if it's the same in the north but um we've got a lot of uh, youtube teams and i'm not saying that they drive anything but this overall competitiveness is it driven by this sort of uh, professionalization of of grassroots football where it's becoming a brand and it's becoming um very much everyone can watch a Sunday league game if they want to turn on YouTube there's hundreds of teams that are currently recording their games all over the country do you think that that win at all cost is driven from that or do you just think it's it's just a change in mentality with, with the generation now that's playing grassroots football if, if it is driven from that it's it's not happened up here in, in Liverpool or in the North West because we don't really have those social media football teams as much as there's like 
you know the one that creep that springs to mind is hashtag united yeah. and, and their journey that they've come up and um it very successfully kind of operated on that model yeah. and they they know that they're going to be watched by x thousands of people win lose or draw so they either want to win at all costs because that looks good on youtube they want to do a little bit of silky skills a little bit of flair because they know that will end up on youtube um and they don't want to be embarrassed because they know that that will end up on youtube as well so probably yeah that that drives it specifically for those guys but i think overall um I, i can't put my finger on it but yeah maybe it's a societal change i mean we spoke about in in the podcast how um you know since uh, the, the brexit referendum everyone just seems a bit more nastier yeah. like on, on twitter and on facebook people who would never jump into an argument face to face would jump straight into an argument vile full of insults yeah. on social media and i think a little bit of that might be creeping into people's everyday lives as well um so where they're acting that way on in social media they're not able to switch it off completely actually in in human essentially yeah i mean that's just thinking out loud but yeah. it, it's something that you know it correlates there whether a, it's the causation i don't know but it definitely correlates there was a string of things wasn't there there was brexit and then there was the whole blm thing where you just seem to have um people absolutely just saying exact exactly what they wanted to say whether it was acceptable or not just on social media it was yeah. a real it was a real sort of cesspit of, of yeah of, i mean the, there's some real nasty comments that like the people that are making them may have felt emboldened by these changes in society that they they feel like there's enough people with those similar views that they can say it and it's accepted and it's okay um I, it's horrible it's really it's really not but it, it's a very vocal minority yeah. and it's and the minority is growing on that subject it, this takes us to the next question and we'll jump into social media again and, and how teams react to this potentially how do you deal with not having a good game and then if you were on that game and you felt you didn't have a good game and you saw teams having a go about the ref was crap or whatever in that game how, how, what sort of place could that potentially put you in if you have a bad game as a referee it stays with you for weeks yeah uh, and that's that's not an exaggeration no. if, you, if i can still remember a game from about five or six weeks ago where i know i made the right decision but the way i kind of communicated that decision wasn't the best and I disallowed a goal because a player was in an offside position. But what had happened is the player had run off the field of play. His momentum had had, had, um, taken him off. Hold on, what's happened here? Did I allow the goal? No, I allowed the goal. That's (laughs) that's what it was. (laughs) So the the defender had run off the field of play, um, which is his natural movement had taken him off. He'd stayed off the field of play while play continued. So that made the goalkeeper the second-to-last defender. The ball comes back in from the attacking team with the defender and the goalkeeper now actively the, the offside line. Everyone's claiming for offside for the player that scores. Player puts it in the back of the net, goes for a big celebration. I blow my whistle. Um, 
because I, I had forgotten about the, the guy that was off the pitch, put my arm up for offside. Uh, and then as I'm looking around, I see and remember the player that's that's just now walking back onto the pitch to restart. And I was like, ah, shit. So I blew my whistle again, called the captain over and said, I'm very sorry, but I was aware that there was a player off the pitch. I'd forgotten about him. I've now checked and seen, yep, he, he was still there. It's reminded me that he was still there. Play hadn't stopped. There was no reason for him to be off the field of play other than his momentum had taken him off and he was slow coming back on. And the team uh, were fuming. And they they started like calling me all sorts. Um, you know, so he stayed with me in the game. They kept going back to that during the game. Um, booked a couple of players because of the way that they... Uh, then carried on about it through the game descents and whatnot um, at the end of the game I was still trying to explain to them why I had done it and why it, I was right in law but maybe not the best way of communicating it um, the, the the coaches uh, you know shouted some abuse at me and all this sort of stuff the spectators definitely did and um, I was just like in in Merseyside uh, and Cheshire, and a few counties up north, your club assistants don't give offside. So yeah, you as the match referee... Sod that. that. Yeah, you've got to do everything, and it's... You're no doing chance. the job of, of three people in one person, but the people you're refereeing still expect a standard How do you of do officiating. That? If you're in the, if you're in the, the say, the blue uh, penalty box, and, and they punt it up upfield to their striker from a corner unless you're um speedy gonzalez then how do you judge how do you judge an offside if if it's if it's tight you just can't you can't give those decisions can you no you 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 will either if it's tight you'll have to guess and it's your best guess and and one of the things is they sell you as a referee don't guess but in these in the way that they want you to officiate with no help from the lines in, in terms of offside you are giving your best guess in those situations, which will open you up to criticism from the teams if they feel that it's not offside. And even when you're in a great position, say it's a dead ball um, situation, like a free kick and it's going to get whipped in, I line myself up with the second-to-last defender as that comes in. Yeah. Just by default, because they're not used to um, anyone else but the referee making the decision on offsides, they'll still scream for offside even if I'm stood there and then I'll turn around and tell you you're wrong and I'm like well I'm not because I'm in a great position and you're literally looking at me talking at me where I am to see offside but the the default is um, defenders scream for every offside um, in, in an attempt to get every offside decision I'm and own- as the referee it's impossible to, to do I moan about um, club linos a lot I think it's one of the it's the one part of some Sunday mornings, not all of them, but some Sunday mornings it can ruin a bad club line can ruin a game, but I'd take a bad one over none every single yeah, day of the week. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Like in that situation with the with the player going off, um, just prior to that, people were screaming for a ball in and out of play. I'm looking to the... Because I still give out flags. I've still got a club assistant. He just doesn't do anything. So I'm looking at him to, to give the flag for ball in and out. 
not I don't even want a direction. I just want to know did it cross the line? Yeah. And he's just stood like facing away from the field of play, and I'm like, you are worse than useless. Yeah. How am I supposed to? And again, people will say you should have seen that ref. How can I see that as the referee when I'm not in a in a position to to see it? No. Cool. But they but they will criticise you because they expect the same level of officiating that they see in the Premier League as the Sunday League, and that's just crazy. So if you're assessed as a as a level seven to six yeah. with um, with club linos that only tell you whether it's a a goal kick corner or um, they, they won't even tell you that they won't even tell you that they'll just tell you did that ball cross the sideline. So if, that's if you're lucky. So you're being assessed. Potentially, yeah. it's your it's your fourth assessment, and you, the, the did the observers mention offsides that you may not have got right? Yep. Fuck. That's they 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 might be in a great position to see an offside, but like you said, if it's a if it's a quick break and you're you're overseeing a corner and it breaks down the other end, and you don't give an offside, and the the observer will say he was definitely offside. You've just got to say, ah, well, from where I was, I didn't see it, and I couldn't have seen it. If I can't see it, and I'm not sure, I can't give it. That is that is hard. That is hard. Yeah, yeah. God, <laughs> it's it's difficult. It's difficult up north. I'm not going to lie, because when when I, I obviously qualified in Cheshire, when I went to university, the club linesman in Wales give everything offsides, corners, yeah. goal kicks. Yeah. Uh, not only will the ball cross the line, they'll tell me which way the throw in is, yeah. is for, and then you come back and it's like uh, uh, it's it's all on my shoulders again. So that it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. Is that just to avoid cheating by club linos? Then is that the pro- is that the thought process behind that? that that is the thought process, yeah. It's better to have no one apart from the ref make every decision than have a two potential cheaters from each club that will flag and flag and flag for offsides wow. or corners or goal kicks, whichever benefits their team. Bloody hell. <laughs> I don't think I'd have enjoyed it very much refereeing in that in that sense. well yeah you've got to, you've got to really love it and and I think I think that probably spurs a lot of people on to get their level fours and threes so they can yeah. get actual assistance cool well fair play fair play to you boys uh, up north <laughs> um, do losses and do wins or losses or good games or or bad games affect your a week I know you've said that um, a loss can hang a bad game can stay in your mind for days I'm the same I think I I've, uh, well, not, not just a bad game. You can have an incident from a game that'll stay with you yeah. for years. Yeah. Like, I've got two. I was... Um, uh, it was a game in New Brighton in, I want to say, 2010 or 11. So we're getting on to the best part of 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, uh, one of the captains at the end of the game... The, the game was finished. The game was done. I was uh, a system referee on that game and I gave an offside that the captain of, of the, the team didn't agree with. He came to me at the end of the game uh, into the referee's changing room with the two other officials and he gave me a, like a, a solid two-finger poke in the chest. Like, he was threatening me. Like, you yeah. get changed, I'm going to wait for you outside. And I'm a big lad, you know what I mean? Even then, I was into my gym. I might have been a bit chunky, but, uh, you know, I wasn't taking kind of intimidation uh, like that. So I just cracked on as normal, got changed, went out. By the time I got changed and gone out, 
like people had ushered him away but in that moment with him jabbing me threatening me like that i was like i'm, I'm not having that you know this this is is this something i really want to subject myself to yeah moving through football for, for this to happen um and then there was another one while I was at university, and I've spoken to this, uh, spoken about this on my podcast, and, it, and it's something that's even longer ago, so about 2007 or eight. And I heard clearly one player using racial language against another. Yeah. And it, I was very green at that point. I had not very much experience, and I just I heard it, heard it clearly, ignored it, and it's something that not taking action is something that now stays with me and yeah. I just think God, if I, I should have taken action in that moment and it's those it's those incidents that now kind of shape and mould the way that I've refereed today yeah. having big incidents like that um, knowing how to deal with them if they crop up again what I do differently but also the process of, of um, kind of uh, some things are unavoidable and, and they will always happen but but dealing with with the the things that led up to those incidents happening what could i have done differently and stuff like that so yeah even a bad one bad game can stay with you for weeks but one bad incident can stay with you for years that's a good point i mean people say you learn you learn more from mistakes than you do from the easy games and and that's right certain things happen in games where you you know it was a tremendous cock up and it might be something horrendous like you've just mentioned that that happened and you didn't quite know how to deal with it so you didn't deal with it but next time i bet if that happened again the next time then you'd be all over it and i know it's sad that you that you didn't have the confidence maybe or or you didn't have the experience to deal with that situation then but the next time it does it does improve you and i i yeah. so many so many things have happened on a football pitch that I didn't that I got wrong but then the next time I got it right and that's it it's, it's straight into your that's how you do it now and, and and it does make you a better referee going forward yeah it, well that's the thing like I said right at the beginning of this chat uh, it, you learn the most from the things you get the most wrong if you did everything right from the start you wouldn't be an effective referee 10 years down the line you might get everything right in law but you really have to cock up to make sure that you the, the the points that you learn stay with you yeah agreed absolutely um how do you how do you help someone who opens up to you about their mental health so be it another referee if you're in the changing room before we before when we could actually use them uh, if someone opens up to you before or after a game or through the forum or social media or youtube comments or whatever it is that you that you uh, however people communicate with you um how would you help someone that did open up to you? So if it was a face-to-face, -face, like kind of someone confiding in me, I would take the time to, to listen to, to what they have to say. Because it's, it's, if you're going through the shit with your mental health, it takes a lot in a moment to actually speak about it because yeah. all that stuff is going on inside. Yeah. So for you to, to have the courage to share that with someone, and if that someone is me face-to-face, -face, I'm going to listen to what you've got to say. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of young workers um, working in, in the entertainment industry, uh, a lot of teenagers who will come abroad, and it's their first time away from their parents. For a lot of them, it's their first job. So it's a lot of pressure on them. Yeah. 
uh, I've got a lot of experience in, in just kind of supporting people, kind of vulnerable people exposed to, to things that they've never been kind of fully exposed to, kind of those independence building moments. Um, so I, I would offer the support whatever I could, but if it happened online, I'd do the same thing. I'd say, you know, if you if you want to drop me a private message, you know, away from from the public eyes, whatever you, you can do. Um, we've but we've got a big community of, of referees, like I said. But I've also got some fantastic partnerships with um, uh, with Nathan from the third team. His yeah. his work with with mental health and mental resilience is fantastic. Uh, Martin from Ref Support UK. Uh, they've got a hotline which is twenty four hours a day. So if I felt something needs to be escalated or there was someone better to deal with it than than me i would i'd point them in the right direction there's tons of of people and places out there um that that can help um so yeah if it it depends in the context of, of which it comes to me um but but in the first instance you just have to listen if someone if someone opens up to to you me or anyone about their mental health just listen yeah agreed what advice would you give someone who feels like they need help with their mental health just don't keep it inside your head the the longer you keep it inside your head the worse it's going to be it's going to just sit in there and fester and and build and grow so reach out to people you trust or if you don't feel like you can reach out to people that you can trust, there's there's a ton of organisations now. I mean, you talk about mental health five, ten years ago, there wasn't very much. But no. today, if you just type in uh, into Google um, mental health charities or mental health help, anything like that, there are so many resources mm-hmm. out there to help you. But don't don't ignore it. The longer you leave it, the worse it'll get. Oh, and, and don't be afraid of like, thinking you, you you're showing weakness or anything like that like football generally is male dominated it's very toxic very macho that if you are in an environment like that you may not think that speaking about your feelings um that that's not the right place to do it um which which even may refs, be the case even may refs, be the case even refs we've got a game face on as well we might have had a shit week at work or we might be having all sorts of troubles going on but even refs when they when you're walking out to the pitch you've, you've got to put a front on and you've got a you've got to look like you're you're up for it and all that even though you're prob you're definitely not if you're if you're, if your mental health is is struggling there's all sorts of people that are struggling on a football pitch and that first tackle from someone who's feeling uh, a player who's had a crap week or is struggling met with his mental health or the manager that's barking at a ref or the ref um there's could be all sorts of people that are, that are suffering on the pitch so um yeah like during, during the game everyone's wearing a mask that mask is hiding what their true kind of self is the referees the coaches the players everyone everyone's acting how they're expected to act at the end of the game whether it's immediately or in the changing rooms or when you get home don't be afraid to take that mask off and 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 share those things that are inside um because even you know people wear that that mask that keep that shield up that facade um 
and the whole time it's just eating away at them inside uh again don't be afraid of of showing what you think is weakness they don't think of it as weakness it's it's really not it's really not and that's the the big thing through the summer we did the the 50 podcast in 50 days series and 50 people from from ex-professional footballers to uh chairman of of uh, semi-professional clubs to managers players down to not down to i don't mean that don't mean this to sound disrespectful but we had groundsmen people like that or groundskeepers um every single person said if you've got a if you're feeling like you need to talk to someone talk to someone that was 50 out of 50 podcasts everybody said that and now this podcast you've said the same and and the one before everyone's seen all the blokes that we've spoken to and like and uh girls that we spoke to every single one is saying speak to uh, i'm here speak to me get in contact with me yeah we're so crap at saying it to each other's face oh mate are you all right like do you want to talk I mean, about yeah it? yeah that, that's what we're gonna say we've got a duty to notice the changes in our friends and our colleagues and all the the little subtle changes that you notice but you don't kind of address because you don't want to be like oh is everything? it just takes a second to say is everything all right yeah that's all it takes girls are better than us aren't they definitely <laughs> just there's so many things <laughs> it's a long long list uh, yeah i didn't need to i don't need it. everything everything they're better than oh me. yeah they are better human beings than, than men absolutely <laughs> um i think we've reached the the end of the interview thank you very much for your time again it's lovely to speak to you rather than listening to you or watching you um do your thing on the final whistle i'm really enjoyed uh listening to uh, your podcast so far um i'm assuming that's that's continuing through lockdown isn't it? you're doing a, a special sort of lockdown series yeah so we're doing goldie lockdown where we are looking at clips from uh grassroots matches um so we've just spent six episodes analyzing uh, a weymouth uh, football club uh incident it's like three minutes we got the match referee adam penwell on uh we kind of critiqued him and then we listened to his version of things people have said it's a fantastic training tool um so if you're a referee or even if you're not and you want to know the thought processes of referees or, or decision makers in the game uh check it out uh facebook.com forward slash the referee forum or youtube.com forward slash ant canavan it's really a, a really good tool and i know there's lots of there are lots of referee related um accounts out there but i think since um sort of speaking to uh, ref support initially over um two pretty shitty incidents that happened at the beginning of um well we all were allowed to play i think there was two incidents on one day one yeah. was one was sat sat yam sat now yeah. or sat yam sorry i forgot sat yam, yeah uh, and and another guy that didn't identify himself in the end i don't think but there were two incidents in the same day and i think having spot started speaking to martin at, at ref support and then seeing that you t- were involved and then i learned about your podcast it's nice that there's seems to be a, a prop there's a proper sort of network of of ref of strong referees um support um accounts that are out there doing the business and um i hope that continues um as long as possible thanks very much mate appreciate that um 
we'll keep hopefully getting some audio from you guys for uh, for the people who like to listen through um the silk podcast um account on soundcloud but you just want to shout your twitter account for the refs of paul and and your uh youtube again just in case anyone didn't hear it the first time yeah check me out on facebook.com forward slash the referee forum twitter at the referee forum um and youtube.com forward slash ant canavan fantastic there's there's loads there's loads patreon.com forward slash the referee forum if you want to throw me some cash (laughs) yeah that that was that's that's interesting and i guess with the amount of um followers and it makes sense i mean you there's a lot of little extras and things that people get by subscribing to the patreon um isn't there There, there's little bits and pieces but the 90 percent of what you'd get through patreon you'd get free anyway um the the patreon stuff is just something i've i've done during this lockdown specifically lockdown 2.0 um just because uh, my income got reduced because yeah. i'm not working at the comedy club uh, and i'm spending a lot more time uh, producing content for for the referees and the referee forum um so i was like Do you know what if if people want to send cash my way i'd appreciate that but i don't expect it has that has that been has that been well supported for you so far Nah, fuck all. Zero subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I've been money's tight for everybody, and uh, yeah, this is what I mean. If if you've got like i think that it starts at three quid a month uh if you've got it sweet fantastic if not like i said i don't expect it all the content's going to be available for everyone it's just a few extra daft memes i've put on there that's uh that's exclusive uh, for the patreon people um but like uh, yeah we're going to keep producing what we're producing the podcasts the the you are the ref videos the match incidents all that sort of stuff will be available for everyone uh it's it's just like a little cherry on the on the icing on the cake if you want to check out the patreon stuff i wish you all the best and we'll continue to interact in the way we have for the for the and last you will have to come onto my podcast and then we can switch switch roles uh, and i'll interview you absolutely whenever you want i mean my experience of of refereeing is is mainly grassroots all bar some saturday stuff that i used to do so i'm 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 looking to help other podcasts and and come on i don't know if you'll drive many many extra listeners or or viewers drive them away (laughs) yeah my face definitely that's why we're audio only but yeah if you want (laughs) if you want me to come on just you i mean you've got all my details so just get in touch yeah definitely mate we'll get you on uh definitely soon and uh, i wish you all the best with the football and if you're going back on promotion and uh, god knows how that's going to affect you if you are on promotion this season um but i wish you all the best with all of that and look to speak to you soon cheers mate and thanks for having me on cheers mate having trouble tracking who can play and who can't Download Down to Play before your next match. The first app to purely focus on player availability. Get Down to Play for free in the App Store and Google Play. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.